You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Vidura Ralapanawa, Executive Vice President for Innovation and Sustainability at Epic Group. Like last week's episodes, this conversation is co-hosted by Manufactured co-founder Jesse Lee. Epic Group is a manufacturer of woven tops and bottoms, denim, and more recently, knitwear. The company is headquartered in Hong Kong and produces across Bangladesh and Ethiopia. Vidura is based in Sri Lanka. Epic has over 30,000 employees and a long history in sustainability. They were one of the first to start working with recycled polyester and one of the first to take on green building design in Bangladesh. In part one of this conversation, we covered some big questions, like why is Vidura uncomfortable with science-based targets? What would just transition in the fashion industry look like? And how can we talk about environmental targets in a way that's sensitive to context, to the particular? He proposes an approach rooted in a principle he calls equal but differentiated. We chat about why he thinks the current model will fail to have the impact we so desperately want to have and what gives him hope. In this episode, we shift to the firm level. Given the importance of context to environmental target setting, how does he approach his work at Epic? How does he balance short-term goals with the need to have a bigger, broader conversation? What's their process for setting targets, and how is Epic working towards these? This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast, or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. I started to get to uh, understand a bit more about climate change. And the more I understand it, the more I, I the read, I found the uh, the topic is quite overwhelming because anything related to climate change is actually happens on a very big level. It's um it's on a macro level, and individuals' efforts, <clears throat> one one single person's efforts, wouldn't solve the problem. So just thinking, a uh, company like uh, Epic Group, of course, has a much greater impact. But in garment industry, we have lots of and lots of uh, medium-sized companies, medium-sized manufacturers. Once they started to understand climate change, they would very likely want to do something. Many things, as you said, set out of the out of their capacity, like the conditions set by the the government or the national conditions, and so on. So, how can they to find the entry? point of this big topic so that the climate change becomes uh, manageable and workable issue. It's not manageable. So, so I'm going to disappoint you here, Jesse. It's not manageable. Okay. You just 
let's 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 first let's be realistic because I think we it's um um so one of the criticisms so I I do presentations on climate change I I do it in my company I do it for outside groups um and a lot of the time the response is that listening to me speak on climate change is very depressing depressing yes okay? because yeah. and we must be depressed and we must be scared but being depressed and being scared isn't necessarily a wrong place to act on uh, you know it's it's very how does it's very un-american if i want to say it's it's not that enthusiastic we are going to fix it we can't fix it okay the only issue that we can do is we can mitigate the damage now and i'm saying it because i understand the science behind it okay so so let's let me give you a good example and and then let's see why this pessimism is coming from some of the um, key ice sheets in greenland or in west antarctica ice sheets uh, is now a lot of scientists think that they are beyond the point that we can save them from catastrophic melting okay now ice sheets have uh, uh, an inertia that is perhaps measured um by centuries so nothing we do from this point of time are going to reverse it within couple of hundred years but everything we do now is going to reverse these things couple of hundred years later so if you think about climate change and impacts there are there are impacts that are short term there are impacts that are medium term there are impacts that are long term what action we do can reverse the short term impacts at a very fast level medium term and long term we can set the stage for its reversal okay but what is the implication now if you read the ipcc report that came out recently a couple of weeks back um you know i was looking at it because as you know i'm in sri lanka it's an island nation i work in bangladesh it's a nation which is you know quite a lot of areas are very um, short elevation from um, um uh sea level okay but let's take one scenario ssp 2.6 which is really you know temperature increase maybe around 1.9 degrees okay now if you look at that at the end of this century 2100 we will have about um 0.6 meters of sea level rise okay um and by 2300 this may be as high as 2 meters of sea level rise and that's one of the most aggressive decarbonization pathways that we have okay so what would that do to a country like sri lanka or country like bangladesh so so we cannot hold on to these false uh um notions of managing this it's it's we we've, we've gone past that having said that this is not a doom and gloom it, it's a, it's a doom and gloom scenario but it's not a scenario where we cannot act okay if you look at it look at covid crisis it's a very grim situation but it doesn't stop us from acting if you look at our world wars they were very grim situations we acted we found out courage we found out ways to act within that space so i think this is the kind of thing but what's different is this like in those instances everybody has to act it's just not one business leader few people we will survive this we will overcome this where each and every person in this planet becomes a climate activist a climate warrior this is my personal belief 
Um, and this is what our young people are doing right now because they understood that. Now, the second part of this is the question is where is our space to act? Um, now, I can tell you I am a person who acts in all these spaces. I act at personal level, I act at organizational level, and maybe sometimes at national level. And I think all of those spaces action is needed. Um, um, uh, I'm going to be abstract because that's the only way that I can talk about this. Because um, when people get together and, and when more and more people want to make this work, we will find a way. I, I You know, it, it may sound almost a catchphrase, um, but... I have been, um, say, working on, on the Sri Lankan energy sector transformation for maybe five years, probably even before that. Um, and I can tell you um, um, sometimes how we find colleagues and how transformation works is not always predictive. What is needed is for you to start doing what you can do. And, and what I mean by that is not doing something, you know, there's this whole idea of personal carbon footprint it was actually created by the oil companies. It's just to, for us to make ourselves guilty and not see that the larger systemic problem. But that's not the space that we work in. We need to work on, yes, the individual actions make a difference. The organizational action takes even bigger difference. The collective action takes makes even bigger difference. And, and we must always remember that when we say we are going to act, that means all three spaces. You can't do just one and expect the system to transform itself. Um, so this goes back to um, uh, um, um, the question that you asked. Uh, you know, this, this shifting of spaces that 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 one must operate in and I think if you are really a good sustainability practitioner you cannot operate within the organization I mean I always say something which is um, sustainable companies exist within a larger system larger context it cannot exist in a vacuum so if you are going to create a sustainable company that sustainable company cannot be the only sustainable company in that country in that location because you have to work and you have to build that sustainable ecosystem. You have to build the supply chain. There's a lot of work to be done. So being an effective sustainability practitioner means um, that you you do what we call scale jumping. Okay. So there is a green building standard called the living building challenge. I don't know if you've seen this. And if you look at it, it has this Beautiful idea called scale jumping. What is your individual action? What is your community action? What is your global action? And sometimes you can compromise on your individual action and play the global action. And I think it's absolutely necessary. And and um, uh, uh, and I think um, you know how do I do this in my work? And I think this is more specific to you, Jesse, because you know I, I can't tell. Um, you know, these are very contextual, so I can't give an advice to a, 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 a generic person because I don't know what's happening in Cambodia. I can tell you how I work. Okay, um, at every point of time, I need to inspire a team. Right? How do I do that? I I have to actually talk about these issues and and speak about how that impacts their lives. Okay, because they have to, un we, we all have to understand we are doing it for all of us and our children and for the ecosystem and for the animals and for everybody else. 
Um, so this is one. We must always attempt to broaden our conversation from the narrow silo. So I take all opportunities that I have when I get into a conversation with my board to say, look, here's our action, but this is our big picture view. We may not do something about this big picture view, but this is our space to operate. And by doing that, you start enhancing your conversation space. You start enhancing your solution space. And we need to have the same conversation with our brand partners. So it's about broadening our discursive space that we create possibilities for change to happen. So it's a very, very hard um, role for play because, you know, um, you know, if you're a business leader, you're so busy with trying to survive in this very, very tough economic system. We are asking the impossible, but this is the time to do the impossible because if you don't do this impossible now, we don't have time to do impossible anywhere. Now, the question um, um, I ask is something like this. What is the most ambitious target I can set? And this to me is number one. And then ask a second question. How do we make this impossible target workable? Okay. Uh, so, so let me come back to this uh, in, in two ways. So, so let me first talk about um, um, where we are in terms of targets. Now, Epic is a company, as I mentioned earlier, it's a very dynamic company. Um, so we work in shorter time horizons in our strategy. So we have three-year targets. The, the, I mean, I come from a climate background, so I'm always in a hurry, in a rush to reduce our greenhouse gas impact. Um, and, and it's very personal to me because both Sri Lanka and where I live in and Bangladesh, where most of our employees live in, are two of the most climate vulnerable countries in the world. Right. So we are not countries that are going to be able to successfully navigate the climate impacts that our people and our ecology and our ecosystems are going to face um, successfully in the next 10 years, 20 years and beyond that. Right. So for me as a person, I think about this when I want to set up a greenhouse gas emissions. Then um, if I want to think about setting a water reduction um, target, I also want to look at where are we, we you know, um, how significant is water to a country like Bangladesh where our manufacturing is, or a country like India or in China where our supply chain is. Um, and, and most instances, these are um, in, in water-stressed countries. Now, Bangladesh has lots of water on surface, but it's got a particular type of a clay soil, which um, um, which doesn't allow uh, uh, easy um, replenishment of the water table. So every water drop that we um, extract from the deep water aquifer um, is really not easily replenished. So so water is significant. So so that when we set water targets, these have to reflect the reality that we live in. So th this is one side how targets are being looked at. And the second side is that also we work in um, uh, commercial organizations and there is a space um, um, within which we can make investments, we can make changes. So the, this, this intent of larger um, targets has to be also um, sort of aligned with the organizational direction and organizational uh, um, where the organization is. 
So uh, in terms of how EPIC uh, works towards targets, we, we've spent about $5 million purely on sustainability-related work in the last three years. And this number is, is um, you know, continuously moving up. Um, what we are looking at in the next um, uh, three years, for example, um, is close to $8 million investment. Now, what do we do with these funds? Because one of the things that we focus earliest is how do we reduce our water footprint? So we are upgrading um, three of our um, ETP plants in Bangladesh with uh, membrane technology so that we are able to reuse up to 50% of our treated water back in our process. Um, greenhouse gas emissions is, uh, uh, I mean, still there are quite a lot of work that can be done, um, especially in terms of improving the efficiency in our thermal and electrical systems. And also at the same time, we are starting our, uh, um, we've started in investing in rooftop solar um, in 2019. Um, and we are going to do the, the large scale installations from this year onwards. We've already working on a 750 kilowatt system. Now in Bangladesh, um, if you, in some countries, these are not huge. In Bangladesh, these are really large because it's um, um, because of the way factories are built. And this will continue where we want to make sure that all of our, all our possible rooftops are um, hosting, um, you know, rooftop solar systems. Um, the the third area that we are looking at, and as you mentioned, we uh, as, as you mentioned, we are a laundry company. So a lot of our energy is actually tied down to our washing machines and dryers, right? So this is the other area of focus. Um, it's so we've started upgrading our laundries about three years ago by bringing in lasers, bringing in ozone machines, bringing in low water washing machines. Um, and and uh, nano bubble technology. This will take us. It will probably the full transition will probably take us about six years because replacing machines take time. Um, but all of those steps will have uh, a, a, a significant impact in terms of how we spend, uh, how we use water, as well as how we um, um, use energy. Um, my rough take on it is um, in. Uh, in the apparel industry, um, minimum 30% energy efficiency opportunities exist in steam system and possibly something somewhat closer to that also in electrical systems. I mean, these are kind of uh, um, uh, pieces, you know, kind of knowledge that we get even from uh, programs like uh, um, Clean by Design. Um, but this will continue and, and um, you know, uh, we will try to do things differently. Um, we have a board that um, is willing to spend on sustainability with a track record and continues to do so. So I think it's going to keep me very, very, very busy. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading.
If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.